you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. We're in John chapter 16. We've been working all the way through the book of John, and we find ourselves this morning in verse 12. Last week, you heard from Pastor Terry in his sermon titled, Some Bad News, But Mostly Good News. The bad news was that Jesus was going away, but the good news was that he said that it was to our advantage, that if you went away, the Holy Spirit will come to us. So Jesus was looking forward to the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he shared with his disciples, beginning in verse 12, he said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. At this point, Jesus had been with his disciples for three years, teaching them some incredible truths. The impact that Jesus had on his disciples we see throughout the Gospels. Jesus had taught his disciples how to love, taught his disciples how to forgive, how not to worry, how not to have fear, how to think, how to pray, how to mourn with those who are hurting, how to believe the impossible. But here Jesus tells his disciples, really, I've saved the best for last. He goes on and he says, I still have many things to say to you. My sermon title this morning is, But Wait, There's More. Jesus is telling his disciples, what I've shared over three years is really just the tip of the iceberg. The tip of what I've wanted to share, but now the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to bring you into the truth that I've not given to you yet. I want us to notice in verse 12, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This leads to our first point this morning. Jesus only gives us what we can bear. Jesus only gives us what we can bear. This is good news. If we're believers in Jesus Christ this morning, we've trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sins, then we can really bank on that whatever it is you're facing in life, whatever it is I'm facing, whatever it is we will face, he's given us only what we can bear. But notice this is also the good and the bad. These were good things Jesus were, were telling his disciples. And he said, I've only given what you can bear. So he holds the good from us and withholds the bad up until to a certain extent. Some of you may be thinking, he, he must surely think I can bear a lot, given what I'm facing right now. Jesus' yoke is easy, his burden is light. It says, cast all your cares and anxieties on him who cares for you. That's what we're called to do as believers. As we cast those things on Jesus Christ, we've learned a couple of weeks ago that God is really that gardener and he's dressing us, he's pruning us because he wants fruit to produce in our life. And that only many times comes about through trials, persecutions. If we only are and do what we can do today, then we will never be anything more than we are. And God is always pulling us and driving us to something more, and it's always for his glory. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit is also called the spirit of truth. And many times churches and believers, and I know even myself, we forget about the person of the Holy Spirit. 
essential part of the Trinity, essential part of our life. The work of the Holy Spirit. As we've worked through the book of John, we can go back and look at some of the roles, responsibilities that the Holy Spirit has. In John chapter 3, if we turn our Bibles back to John chapter 3, we see Nicodemus and Jesus, and they're talking about the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he talks about how it is the Spirit who comes, and it's the Spirit who is what makes you born again. It's what makes you alive. Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh. That which is born of the spirit is the spirit. He said, do not marvel at what I say to you about being born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So the Holy Spirit is really what produces in us life and birth. John chapter 6, if you go a couple of chapters over, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 63, it goes on and it says, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Very essential. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no spiritual life. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no rebirth. In John 14, 26, if you go a couple of chapters over again, 14, 26, it says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is also what helps us remember things. But this passage was written to the disciples and it was really teaching them and revealing to them that one day they would remember all that they had been taught so that they could write it down perfectly in God's word so that we would have it today. That's much of what <clears throat> today's sermon is going to be on. I want us to see here that without the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no hope in evangelism. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no hope in preaching. Preaching has no value without the working of the Holy Spirit. So it's not up to me, or if I have really good sermon illustrations, or the, the best jokes, and you come into church and you're always entertained, and you laugh, and he has just the right mix of story, and personal application, and challenge. If if it's just dependent upon the pastor without the work of the Holy Spirit, no life change will occur. It is the power and work of the Holy Spirit alone that changes our heart, changes our mind. When you read through Scripture, it talks about the Spirit giving life, the flesh, me, you. We contribute nothing to that at all. It is the Spirit of God. So I'm just an instrument to be used by the Spirit through the power and through preaching the Word of God. Now, with that being said, we, we don't command the Spirit what to do. We don't tell the Spirit how to act. We don't command the Spirit where to go. Sometimes people do. There's many churches where, you know, in one instance, the Holy Spirit is, is seen as not important. It's never talked about. On the other instance, there's many churches and many believers who would emphasize the power and work of the Holy Spirit as that's kind of the main thing, and that's what they focus on. It's the emphasis of that. The workings, the outpouring of the Spirit, it becomes the focus and can really take the, the spotlight off Jesus and now it's on the working of the Spirit. When that happens, many times they believe it's essential to activate the Spirit through phrases, chants, certain kind of preaching um, is even something that's come about. There's even a form of preaching that's being promoted today called spontaneous preaching. 
Spontaneous preaching is just what it sounds like. It's preaching at the drop of a hat spontaneously. And so they don't prepare for their sermon on Sunday. They stand up, they grab the Bible, they turn to either a predetermined passage or any passage that they turn to, and then they just start preaching. And they say, because it's relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not on self, it's not on flesh, because you're getting up here and you're really in faith, you're just turning to that passage. And I had a little bit to share about this. In high school, I competed in a competition called extemporaneous speech. I was a weird kid, I guess. Extemporaneous speech is you're given a passage or you're given a, a topic. For instance, uh, one of the topics that, that I know is, is fear-based marketing ethical and should companies use it? Fear-based marketing, is it ethical? So you're given five minutes to prepare a five-minute speech. You're given a dictionary and a three-by-five note card and a pen. You go into a room by yourself. You're given the topic. You have five minutes to prepare a speech. Then you go out and you deliver the speech to an audience like this. So you have five minutes to prepare. Now, I won at my school level regionally and went to state year after year. Now, I say that not to brag, but just because I could win in the competition, hold an audience or gather them in through jokes or stories doesn't mean I had anything of real value to say to them. I mean, I had five minutes to prepare. Now, this is longer than many times these these pastors come up and they just open the Word of God and allow the Spirit to lead. And, And they say, well, Peter did it on the day of Pentecost, and they kind of look to where the Spirit led in the Scriptures, and then they try to emulate that. Peter did it on the day of Pentecost, and he was led by the Spirit, and he did it spontaneously, so that's probably how we should do it too. And I just want to say that Peter spontaneously did it. He wasn't preparing in advance to go preach the day of Pentecost. He didn't plan. So if, if someone's planning on spontaneously preaching on Sunday... I just want to say it's not spontaneous, it's, spon- it's, it's planned spontaneous preaching. It's, it's not even the same. They've actually, in my opinion, planned to perform poorly on purpose, is what they've done. And so they've planned to preach that way. And I say that because it's a big kind of thing. The same thing, spontaneous baptism. They do this with as soon as somebody raises their hand, let's go get baptized. I mean, there's all this big excitement, spontaneous worship, and it's all this thing about spontaneous spontaneity to where the Spirit leads because they see in the Scriptures that there was this spontaneity when the Spirit led. So they try to emulate that. But Scripture also says not many of you should become teachers because we're going to be held accountable. Scripture says we should be studying. And so if you have time and you know you have an upcoming meeting or you're going to be talking with a friend about what you see to be a sin issue in their life and you care for them, or you're going to be sitting down with your son or your daughter talking about an issue, or you're going to be counseling a couple in their marriage, or you're going to have to confront something, or you're going to be in a teaching situation, please take time, study, plan, pray, prepare. That's what we're called to be doing. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it does say, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and to do this with complete patience and teaching. So there are times... We, re, we are all called at the drop of a hat's notice to be ready to preach, to be ready to teach, but that is the exception, it's not the norm. And we're called to study, to put in work. 
when we're doing this with friends or meeting with a couple. I want us to keep moving in verse 13. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, spirit of truth, Holy Spirit, same thing. This is kind of a descriptive terminology here. It says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. If you have your Bible open, how many of you have a Bible that says he will guide you into all the truth? That has a word the there. Raise your hand. We only got like, maybe this wasn't a good. If you're not bringing your Bible to church, make sure you're bringing your Bible to church. I don't know how else to say it. We need to have our Bibles open in church. So I would love, or maybe all of you don't have that translation. Maybe I'll give you credit. Maybe you don't have that translation. If you don't have that translation, it's very important for you to maybe transition to a translation that has the word the, and we'll get to it in a second, and I'll tell you why. It's a very important distinction. First point, or second point I want us to, to see here is the role of the Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 16, is really twofold. To guide the disciples, because this was written to the disciples, it's talking to the disciples, guide the disciples into all the truth. We're going to talk about that word, the, why it's important. But secondly, thereby guiding the disciples into all truth, it will also guide the believers into all the truth. And so the disciples here knew that the Old Testament was written through Moses and the prophets, and there were people led by the Holy Spirit to, to write these words down. And here in this passage, the disciples are being told by Jesus that they too, just like those in the Old Testament, were going to be used by God to write the New Testament. And so this is why it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. John 14, 26, another very important passage, says, but when the Helper, the Holy Spirit comes, who the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things. So He's going to teach them all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Wouldn't it be great to have the Holy Spirit who could help us remember all things? Everything we've ever needed. You ever had that Bible verse that you needed in that situation and it just wasn't coming, but you knew it was in there? Well, here, there's a promise to the disciples where everything they had been taught that they needed to recall, to write down, there's a promise here in John 14 and in John 16 that the Holy Spirit would lead the disciples to remember and to be able to perfectly write in a way that honors God and it is actual God's word to write that in the New Testament and write it for us. So we see in John 14, 26 that he would lead the disciples to the truth. And would help them to remember that. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here you have the Holy Spirit helping them remember. Here you have the Holy Spirit carrying them along. And here you have the Holy Spirit guiding them into all truth. Here you have the Holy Spirit teaching them into all the truth. This is how we can accurately and honestly say this is the word of God. Because the power and the work of the Holy Spirit led these men perfectly to articulate and to write down the word of God. And so we come to this word, the, that the Holy Spirit would guide the disciples into all the truth. When you add that word, the, it makes it definitive. It's not just truth or some truth or everything the Holy Spirit said to them was truth. No, he said all the truth. 
meaning the whole essence of truth, the disciples were going to be given. Now, why is that important? Well, if the disciples were given all of the truth, beginning and end, that means today there is no more truth to be given. And it also means if they're given all of the truth and they were led to all of the truth and they would remember all of the truth and they would write down all of the truth, then today is there any more truth God wants to give us that hasn't already been given to us? No. And this is where the argument is today and this is where the controversy is today, especially even in the church. It's, all right, so the Bible is God's word, they say, or mostly God's word. And then they they say, but is God not speaking to us any longer? I mean, surely God spoke to them. He spoke to them in the New Testament. So surely God must speak to us today. And this concept is under attack. Some theologians, pastors, Christians, they think the word of God is, is fluid. This is exactly the same type of argument. Maybe you're familiar with the attacks against the Constitution in this country. We know that the original intent and the writers behind certain aspects of the Constitution was this. Yet they say, well, today, given the context and this, it really means such and such. And they change it. They kind of see it as a living document that breathes with the culture and changes with the culture. Where the Old and the New Testament, it is a living word. It is a living book. But it stays consistent throughout history. It leads to discussions such as this. Has God given us truth? If God has given us truth, is it only some truth? Is it, does, does the New Testament perfectly apply to today's culture, even though it was written in a completely different culture? Has God given us truth that applies to every culture? Or is God still dispensing some truth today? This is called progressive revelation. It's rampant today, especially in church. For example, the Mormons, better known as Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Notice that last terminology, Latter-day Saints, meaning there would be saints, apostles, disciples in later days, our day, teach progressive revelation to such an extent that what is revealed by their so-called prophets actually contradicts Scripture. But since they see those people as prophets, that's able to happen. Many groups uh, violate the same thing, such as Jehovah's Witnesses. They deny the Trinity, the deity of Christ. Various oneness Pentecostal groups denying the Trinity Seventh-day Adventists do much of the same. And each affirms the inspiration of scriptures, but they add modern-day revelations. The same way as the Old Testament taught one thing about God, and you come to the New Testament, and you have the same teaching, but it's, it's enhanced. We see the same character of God from Old Testament to New Testament enhanced. And they would go, and they see it as a change. So God spoke to them one way. He spoke to the New Testament one way. And now today... 2016, he's speaking to us in another way. And they have many ways how this happens and how this translates. The danger of this, and I've contemplated putting this in my sermon, even this morning, uh, contemplating putting this in my sermon. I decide I'm going ahead and doing it. Um, it's always a good idea on the, the Sunday of. But last Sunday, August 28th, I we don't like to really name names, but at certain points, we want to share with you who individuals are so that you can go and study for yourself. So maybe this is someone you like, maybe it's someone you never listen to. But Andy Stanley preached a message in the series titled, Who Needs God? And this was last week. I encourage you, if you're a 
big fan of Andy Stanley, to go and listen to this message for yourself. Um, we've been to his conferences before. I've, I've listened to his sermons before. But some of the things he started preaching recently, in my opinion, and many others, are way off the rails. And so you especially, if you're an Andy Stanley fan, need to listen to this last sermon he preached. And this is how he promoted the series. He said, and, and these are his words, Do you find some of the Bible stories about God unsettling? Do you ever wonder how you can trust Jesus if it requires you to believe everything in the Bible to be true? Does Christianity seem like a fragile house of cards that may tumble down in the face of a scientific or an archaeological discovery? Before you abandon your faith, it's worth exploring this question. What if the Bible isn't the foundation of the Christian faith? That's what his whole sermon was about. And he goes through and he talks about, and I encourage you to go listen to it if, if you're a fan of his, but he goes through and he talks about how, well, they're finding that the walls of Jericho really didn't fall down. So what does that do? And one of his points is, so as the Bible goes, your faith will go. So if they start finding scientific discoveries that disprove the Bible, then people are going to be like, well, this is wrong. I'm going to throw out my faith as well. And they just kind of throw it all away. When in reality... We know that everything God's Word says is true and has always been proven to be true. Just because they haven't found a discovery yet doesn't mean it didn't happen. And so we base it on the Bible, and it says all of God's Word is breathed out by God. We can't begin to pick and choose what is truth and what is not. And this is, this is what I'm talking about. Um, here's another quote from Andy Stanley regarding the scriptures. L listen carefully because I, I want us, I'm saying this so we can pinpoint the argument here and I want us to be aware of the argument so you at least have a foundation of what's being attacked here. Says, he says this, the foundation of our faith is not the scriptures. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tell us that story. End of quote. Church, the scriptures are not simply a collection of ancient documents that tell us the story. That's not what the scripture speaks about itself. The scriptures say they are breathed out by God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuke, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's not, well, most of this is true. There might be some things that they had a little off. And in this sermon, he talked about, you know, some of these stories you can choose to believe or not believe. They're not really essential, kind of like fairy tale. This is not what we believe about the Bible. We believe these things were miracles, and they went against nature. They went against scientifically what should happen, and that's the very aspect of a miracle. And so we believe God's Word is perfect, and it's perfect not just for that generation. It's perfect for this generation today. Does God still speak to us today? We're giving new revelation about Himself. I would say no. He does not. This is what we read in John 16, verse 13. 
that the Holy Spirit would lead the disciples into some truth, all the truth. If it's all truth, that means everything that the Holy Spirit said to them was truth, right? And that did happen. Everything the Holy Spirit said was true. But if it's all the truth, everything would be given to them, and it was given for the purpose so they could remember it, being led, carried along by the Holy Spirit to write it down perfectly for us today. We believe it's through the power and the work of God. He has preserved his word for us. I preached a couple of weeks back. We have over 4,000 New Testament manuscripts that line up almost perfectly in these areas. And, and where there's a small scribal error, you have other copies that show what that is supposed to be. And so you line these all up. You have a perfect word of God that he's preserved throughout history for us. It's a perfect word of God. So if it has been given to us, this means there's no further revelation necessary. Listen to Galatians chapter 1 from the New Testament, beginning in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen to what it says, verse 8. But even if we... Even if we, the disciples, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. So they've come along and said, listen, the, what you have heard from us, we can't even change it. We can't even come along and say, oh, by the way, I got that wrong. No, they said, if we preach anything different than what we've been given, throw us away. They said, even if an angel comes down from heaven and gives you something new and says, I'm from the Lord, and they look like an angel, and they don't line up with Scripture, they said, throw it out. So it's by the Scriptures, the standard of Scriptures. If this is all truth, then that means we're not lacking anything. We, anything that comes into us, we can evaluate and judge and compare it to the Word of God. And if it's different and new, we know that it's not from the Lord. And if it lines up with this, we know it's not new revelation. It's the same revelation that's been repackaged in a different way. So there's one truth that we have been given. And this truth was given through the apostles and through the prophets. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says, God's household, the church is built on the foundation. So church, how many times do you lay a foundation for a house? Once. You lay a good foundation. So God laid a good foundation. It says, the church, God's household, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. This is built on Jesus Christ, but then alongside of that, the apostles and the prophets were who the Holy Spirit used to what? write the Bible, to give us the Bible. So it's through the, prof, through the prophets and the apostles how we are given the Bible. So it's really the word of God and Jesus Christ that the church is built on. We can't throw out the Bible and say, really, it's all about Jesus. Because how do we know about Jesus? The Bible, right? So, so what if somebody regarding Andy Stanley, he talks about it's not about the Bible, it's about Jesus. Well, we learn about Jesus through the Bible. And what if they say, well, I don't I don't believe Jesus was a real person. I don't believe Jesus raised from the dead. How do we know he rose from the dead? Because the Bible tells us. 
I mean, so you start picking away pieces of the Bible saying that's, you don't have to believe that. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it could be true. That could have happened. And pretty soon you're on a slippery slope of you can pick and choose now what you want to believe about the Bible and what really applies. So it's either perfect in God's word or it's nothing. Those are the only choices that we have. So we need to see this. We need to reject this type of teaching. Many come and they say, and even today they talk about being a modern-day apostle. So they say things like, the Lord has spoken to me, or I've seen it, or I've been told, or the Spirit is telling me, or I have seen a vision from the Lord. These are red flags that should alert you because Scripture says the foundation has already been laid. If a so-called prophet or apostle says something, they line up with the Word of God, praise God. We already have that. If it's something new, right, we throw it out because God said we've been given all truth. So I want us to go into why this is so important, how this is practical for today. Next point here, God's Word is timeless and thus perfect for all generations. God's word is timeless and thus perfect for all generations. This is where it can really get sticky for them, not for us. Ours is rock solid. But this is where people really start having a problem is when we say God's word applies perfectly to every generation. For example, the Bible always transcends culture, never changes. But here's an example regarding women that's under attack today. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, this is in the context of a church saying that a woman should not be a pastor or a teacher in a church exercising authority teaching men. So it's not like wives can never talk, or it's not any of the things we've probably all heard, but it's saying in the context of a church, that God has set up the men as the leaders within the church. So it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man in that role. And notice the scripture says, men, not children. So my wife can teach our sons. Some take it to that extreme. But critics within the church will say, well, the Bible was written during a time when women were oppressed. And they were looked down upon as Second class. And in their culture, women weren't allowed to teach a man. So, of course, the Bible would have been written that way at that time. Surely, you can't expect us to take that, and these are Christians, to take that since it was that culture of the day and apply it to today. Since today, I mean, standards are different. Women, you know, God wants women to be seen as equal, not as a lesser value. And they kind of turn it. And yes, God does, and Scripture does say men and women are equal, but we're different. So it goes through. But the reason why God set this up is he doesn't say because culture said that or culture said this. In verse 13, it says, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. The reason given in Scripture is because that's how God set it up. It had nothing to do with the culture when the Bible was written. That's how God set it up from the very beginning. The reason God gives is by God's initial design. It also wasn't a result of the fall. I recently heard this where it says, well, women were placed under the authority of man in that role and also in the marriage as a result of the fall. If you go back, when in reality, 
They were always in that role of husband and wife. But it says that now, because of the curse, that the wife will want to what? Rule over the husband. So they took one of the blessings of God and turned it into the curse of God. And these are pastors in a church. So it's not a result of the fall either in Genesis 3. But I want us to see the Bible remains consistent even when culture is saying something different. So here's another example. In the New Testament, women were often oppressed. And they were looked down upon as second class. But the Bible comes along and Jesus comes along and what does he do to the status of women? He raises it. So here you have one instance where they're saying, well, the Bible, of course, is going to condemn women because it was written in this first century. And of course, they wouldn't allow women to teach. But then in the same breath and in the same scriptures, it says women who once couldn't even sit in church at that time, the Bible now says they can sit in church and it elevates it. So you can't have it both ways. But that's often what they try to argue. So I want us to see the Bible has remained consistent even when culture has gone up and down, up and down about what it wants to do regarding women. Culture changes, but God's word does not. The same arguments apply here to slavery. How many of us have heard in regards to the Bible, the Bible supports slavery? How many of us have ever heard that? How many of you don't just like to raise your hands this morning here, all right? You've only got three people, all right? You need to get out and talk to some atheist and agnostic people then if you've never heard these arguments. You get out and talk because they say things like, the Bible doesn't, the Bible only supports slavery. I read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, all these people had slaves. And when you go back to American history, there were always Christians and they were the slaveholders. So what's going on there? And again, the Bible has always been the same regarding slavery. It was always against the treatment and the abuse of slavery, especially how it was done in this country and others. And it goes back. But when you look in the New Testament, slaves were treated better under the New Testament. They were treated better. The Bible stayed the same, but culture changes. We can apply the same arguments today against the Bible that culture brings up about homosexuality. The critics say, well, the Bible was written in a culture where homosexuality was condemned. And isn't God from the beginning of time till now? I mean, God's mostly concerned with not if it's two men or two women, but God's mostly concerned if they love each other. And if it is a, a marriage where they're honoring one another and they're loving one another and they're sacrificing for one another and that they're monogamous, they're they're faithful to one another. That's really what marriage is about, what Jesus and the church is about. And that's what they say is we kind of have this different picture that this is what it was about. And of course, Scripture was written that way because of the culture, the time it was written in. That's one of their arguments. But the Bible has remained consistent on the issue that homosexuality for believers is outside how we should behave. The critics say the Bible was written in a time where homosexuality was looked down upon. So, of course, the Bible was written that way. But many people don't realize is in the New Testament time, sexual addictions, sexual attractions, atrocities, and homosexuality were very, very, very common during that time. Here's a, an article. In, in cities such as Sparta... In Thebes, homosexuality during this time, this is when the New Testament 
was written, given, homosexuality was so common in that culture that it is recorded from history that it was not uncommon that on the night of their wedding, you're going to learn something good today, church, Spartan wives were expected to lie in a dark room dressed as a man, presumably to help their husbands make the transition from homosexual to heterosexual love. Recorded in history that many wives on the night of their wedding dressed up like men to help their husbands make that transition back from homosexuality to heterosexual relationship. And the Bible comes along and says you should not be engaging in this type of sexual addictions and in this type of desire or this type of homosexual relationships. It was written in a culture where that was the norm. So they can't use that argument today that, well, of course the Bible was written that way. And then our country has gone through a period of 50 years ago, kind of homosexuality was frowned upon, right? And today, it's kind of exalted as freedom and way to go if you come out and you're, you know, homosexual or you have freedom and you can do this. And all the places, it's kind of like the rage and people are smiling on it. 50 years ago, they were frowning on it. Go back to the New Testament and it was just openly supported. Do you see how culture has gone from one extreme to then it's condemned and now it's accepted again? When all along, what has God's word done? Remained the same, consistent throughout it. Sometimes culture lands on the side where God's word says, and other times it doesn't. But I want us to see the word of God transcends all culture. So a thousand years ago, the word of God was perfect and applied to their situation. It applied to their culture. 2,000 years ago, it applied perfectly to their culture. Today, the Bible is not old and outdated. It applies perfectly to our culture. If it is perfect, it's perfect for every generation. God's standards and laws don't change like the culture does. So 500 years from now, is the Bible going to be perfectly applicable for them and their culture? Yes, because God doesn't change And also because he's given us all the truth. There's no further revelation to come along with this. Now, I want us to say, for those who are struggling with the authority issue that I talked about, or homosexuality, or lust in general, understand in Jesus Christ there is hope for those who are struggling. All of us. You know, a lot of times we just kind of single out homosexuals. They're in a long list. Homosexuality is in a long list of other sins. Listen, no one's going to hell because they're a homosexual. We go to hell because we reject Jesus Christ and because we're sinners. And homosexuality is one sin of a thousand sins that they're struggling with. Now, they may fixate it on that one sin, or sometimes Christianity fixates on that one sin, but that is one sin in the drop of the bucket of a thousand other sins that we have. And so all of us, I mean, if you struggle with lust at all, men, husbands, I mean, we're called to be faithful to our wives. It's the same type of desire, same type of sin that we can struggle and lust after another woman. It's the, I'm called not to do that. The homosexual is called not to do that. Children are called to obey their parents. We're called to respect authority. I mean, we're all called to something, and it's not like one has it harder than the other. 
Some of you struggle with addictions that I don't, and I struggle with addictions maybe you don't. I mean, we're all struggling in one area or the other, but Jesus Christ has come to set us free of those things, forgive us of those things, and we now move forward in loving him and pursuing what he called us to do. I hope that makes, I hope that makes sense, but a lot of times people feel like we're just kind of attacking that, and that's just one thing of a thousand things that Jesus Christ came for. So if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, understand that's not the unforgivable sin. There was people in the New Testament, back in 1 Corinthians, it says that's what they used to be. They used to be homosexuals. They used to be. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, they were washed. They were sanctified. They were made alive. The same thing that's happened to all of us when we became believers in Jesus Christ. So has the Bible changed? No. Has culture changed? All the time. Sometimes culture lands and agrees with the Bible. A lot of times it doesn't. But we can't allow culture to help change our interpretation of God's word. We go to verse 14. It says, He will glorify me regarding the Holy Spirit. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine, declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's job, one of his main responsibilities, is to point to and glorify Christ. It says, he will glorify me. Being led by the Spirit, the end goal of being led by the Spirit is about glorifying Jesus. And many times people come along and they, their end goal is to be led by the Spirit. But when we see in the Bible, being led by the Spirit always led to the result of glorifying Jesus Christ. So if there's a movement or you're listening to a radio station or a TV program or you, have, you see something going on and they're talking about anything going on spiritually, but their main focus and their goal is not to proclaim Jesus Christ, but it's focus on possessions or stuff or giftings or healings or happiness. If Jesus is not the goal, it's not Spirit-led. That's the only way I know how to put it. If Jesus is not being high and lifted up, then it's not being Spirit-led because the Spirit points to Christ. He will glorify me. That's always the point of the Holy Spirit. So I want to go through some of our points. Jesus only gives us what we can bear. The role of the Holy Spirit here in John 16 was to guide the disciples into all the truth. They, led by the Spirit, 1 Peter John 14, they would be given all truth, they would remember all truth, they would write the truth down, so that likewise, all of us, church, have been given the truth, we've been given all truth. There's no more truth that we need to be given, so we've been guided into all truth as well. God's word is timeless, and it is perfect for 2,000 years ago. It is perfect for today, and it will be perfect for all generations to come. It doesn't change with the culture. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. So I hope you know we've been given all truth. May it permeate through our lives, our relationships, how we parent, our marriage, our workplace. And may we have the assurance that God's word is that very thing. Breathed out by God and it is perfect for everything we will ever face in this life. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that your word is perfect that anything we're facing in this life, you have answers for it in your word. God, we thank you that it's not always changing. We know culture changes. 
And we know that there are arguments, and they sound like good arguments about why something is different, or why this should be accepted, or why God is okay with this. But we have to go back to your word. So God, help us to do that. Help us to to understand what you called us to, to understand the gift we have in your word. What a precious gift we have. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and how it can lead us into these wonderful truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.